0: Welcome to One Pigs Fly. We're a podcast that's uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and the downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey.
0: And we're back together this week, so that's exciting, Patrick. Yay. You you were you were flying. We missed you. We missed you. <laughs> appreciate
1: it. Appreciate it. And uh, not gonna lie, uh, have newfound appreciation for all your knowledge about sound and editing because <laughs> it's a lot.
0: <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And today <laughs> we are going to be talking with Scott Ruprecht. He is the founder of Give Back X. And Give Back XP is a for profit company that creates travel experiences for fundraising events to help organizations raise more money. And that could be in silent auctions or live auctions. And we're talking experiences like traveling to go fly fishing somewhere, to go see the SBs, to go to the Super Bowl. We're talking pretty elaborate experiences that people have. Uh, really can get a lot of value and excitement out of and Scott himself is quite the entrepreneur. He also started a fly fishing company, which was called Sports Fishing Worldwide, along with Sailfish Bay. So he is pretty knowledgeable. And also he's a part of the entrepreneurs organization of Cincinnati.
1: Thank you to Chris Mann for the he uh, yes. was a previous podcast guest for the introduction. Yes. And I'm really excited, Ali, to have you know Scott on and Learn about his perspectives about working with nonprofits and how they do things. So, on that note, let's bring him in.
0: Let's do it. All right, Scott, 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 Scott. Thank you so much for joining us on this recording for When Pigs Fly. Now, I'm really looking forward to this conversation personally because we haven't had anybody in the travel space, but also the sports space. And I know you're transitioning a little bit. You know, you, you used to be Give Back Sports and now you're Give Back XP. So again, to give people context, uh, you are creating these travel experiences and also working with nonprofits but I'm also not doing this justice. Give us the overarching explanation of what Give Back XP is.
2: So Give Back XP, we create travel experiences for fundraising events. So for nonprofits to use in their silent live auctions, golf outings, raffles, and they're all no risk, no commitment travel auction items. So it allows them to add in some interesting experiences that they probably can't get on their own or put together on their own, and then they can They can sell them multiple times so if the bidding is the bidding is hot in a live auction they can double or triple their their money on it so it's really a a no-brainer for organizations
1: how how did you get to this you know concept or inception of you know give back xp
2: so there's a a a lot a lot went into it but i started a a fly fishing travel company when i was 27 so we did that for for years and then we uh, built, owned, and operated places across the the globe. Uh, in Guatemala, we had something in Iceland, and it really our client base started to come to us for for different experiences because they trusted us to do that. So we were good at building and assembling and then executing. So uh, a trip to fly fishing in Iceland, where you need guides and you need to line up the accommodations and the meals and you know the rental equipment really when you go to do something in napa with different wineries and a driver and accommodations it's different components but a lot of it's the the same when you get to assembling and and executing so it kind of morphed into into that and then give back sports we started as a as a ticket company and we mm-hmm. were going to, I still think this is a good idea, but it didn't get the, the, the traction. So, for every time that we sold a ticket, we were going to take a portion of our profits and su- send underserved youth to live sporting events. Um, and then, if a ticket was 100 bucks through StubHub and it was 100 bucks through Ticketmaster, we just weren't going to keep all the profit on it. It would be 100 bucks through us. And then we would send kids to games. So, not only could you go to a game, but kids could go as well. But then we pivoted to uh, experiences about a year in.
0: Why do you think the ticket aspect didn't work?
2: You He re- realized how powerful some companies are, even if they give mm. terrible mm. service, right? I mean, why, you know, people are booking through Ticketmaster, they're booking through StubHub a lot, like they booking through the airlines, right? They just have mm-hmm. yeah. massive marketing campaigns and you, you just that's in people's brains that that's the the only way to go and we certainly didn't have any kind of budget near that once we pivoted to experiences we we took off and it was our wheelhouse anyway we knew we, we knew how to yeah. do it so
0: this um, okay so and i'm on the website right now this then leads me to okay how you're making this happen because i'm looking through your experiences we're talking about Options to go to the ESPY Awards, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl. Maybe the Bengals will make it, maybe not. We don't need to talk about that. You know, the American Music Awards, and then you have different sailing options. There's so many different things. Now, how are you able to make that work? How are you able to build a network and execute? Because I imagine it's very network-based, and you're able to control it more, unlike... um, the ticket experience, is that right?
2: Yeah, so- we're, we're able to control that a little bit more. We still have a ticket portal, which is awesome, mm-hmm. right? We just don't show it on our site, so it feeds our experiences, so we mm-hmm. buy from ourselves. So that's why we can get the ticket component of, you know, CMAs or the SBS and experiences like that. But, you know, we just started building and assembling different, you know, different experiences and, we would just cold call people and reach out to people because it is a lot and it takes a ton of time to put, you know, to put these things, uh, to put these things together. And there's so many moving parts and you got to manage the, 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 the moving parts. So not only are you creating something for the nonprofits to use to help them raise more money, but if you farm the trip for the, for the donors, the donors are never going to buy something from that organization again. So we feel that you know, that added pressure, and it's good pressure, from the organizations to help them raise more money, and then certainly from the from the donor end to execute a, a lifetime experience for them.
1: So you have multiple customers, right? You have the nonprofits who are directly buying from you, and then you have, you know, the nonprofits, you know, donors, who essentially are buying from you in the end as well. How do you keep everyone happy?
2: So... We, we we do a pretty good job of that if you can if you can believe. We have an amazing team our our entire team were people that 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 i knew or referrals from friends and they flat out care and that's the that's the biggest that's the biggest thing so we have full confidence from the sales side for me working with an organization to understand what's what's working in events based on the climate going on to account management taking care of them to travel and and you know, every part of our business, we just have people who who care. Um, and that's a that's a big part of it, because that gives you the confidence, certainly on the sales side that, you know, you're going to perform. And that comes that comes through in what we do.
0: Can you kind of walk us through if if let's say Patrick and I are a nonprofit, what does it look like if we want to work with you and create and, and um, make an experience part of a fundraising event for us?
2: So we'll look at their um, we'll look at their uh, their event so uh, and we'll make sure that it's a fit for you know yeah. for them because some of our experiences you know are, are more money you know do they have a, an event that lends itself to sell those type of experiences so yeah. you know schools and hospitals um, you know professional athletes and their foundations you know from Big Brothers Big Sisters to American Cancer Society to you know NFL head coaches; they're all kind of our our clients. So they have they have a fundraising gala or multiple fundraising galas per uh, per year, and you just have to make you know how many people are going to be there. are Going to be four hundred people. They're going to be three hundred people. Have you ever offered anything like this before? Mm-hmm. You know, some organizations. The biggest mistake that they make uh, is they base the choices a lot of times, the the people who know what they're doing a little bit more versus the people who are looking to it the first or couple times, or if an organization is transient, and there's a lot of people in and out of there, maybe they have some turnover, is you can't make decisions based on your own personal financial situation. You have to base it on the donors that are in the audience because you don't know mm. if that person just sold their company for twenty million dollars and mm. you know and wants to go to the country music awards in hundred level seats. Like they can afford that. So um, you know, there's not a lot of people that can afford, you know, a trip to the to the Super Bowl. So maybe don't select that one. Uh so we work with them on what's hot and what's selling and have you ever tried something like this before because if they say their ceilings a certain amount but they've got 400 people in the room it's more of like well have they ever expected anything like this from you before so you just dig
0: Yeah. yeah so with that what makes then a good experience as you're piecing these all together it sounds like there's a wide range here but how do you kind of approach creating a good experience
2: so having a travel company for, for as long as I did, and then I, I spent so much time uh, traveling. So I spent so much time in the first part of my, my career, I really reengineered that retirement aspect and front loaded it into my my life um so all the travel kind of things not that i don't want to go um, any places anymore i really just was gone every month i was in a different part of the the world for the first 10 years of my of my company so i got to see a lot i got to do a lot we talked to a lot of people like we'll be on the phone uh, you know we'll be on the phone with somebody and then they'll just give us an idea um mm-hmm. And then there's things that are completely unexpected, like the 16th old skybox at the waste management open. We sold out of that in, in two and a half months, not only that, but what we had is we had two tickets in hospitality and three nights accommodations last year. And we barely, we barely sold it this year we stripped out the accommodations we just had two tickets in hospitality it sold for three times as much and multiple times in events so there's outliers and things that we don't understand but when we see it right away we we grip onto it and we'll um, you know we'll push that to You know our our clients but if you take something like that the the cost on it for two people was twenty two thousand seven hundred fifty dollars the last four times it sold were eight thousand nine thousand nine thousand nine thousand and those last three times were in one event so you take an organization okay who uses an experience for twenty seven fifty and they gross twenty seven thousand dollars on one experience and they're paying out you know whatever that is uh you know less than Mm -hmm less than $9,000, uh, it's, it's powerful and they don't have to do anything because we, we take care of the donors and, um, you know, everything that's associated with it. So our stuff is powerful. That's why we have the Mm. the client base that we, that we do. Um, but you have to know people in that industry because the first thing that they want to know is who do you work with, right? Who, who do you work with? So, uh, that's a big thing you you, you, you got to you know, the barrier to entry is the fact that you, ha- you got to know these nonprofits and have connections in, and, mm-hmm. and you have to build stuff. And if you can't build stuff and execute it, then most people can't. So, so we're good so with that.
1: This begs yeah. the question, are you spend it is-, is give back XP spending a lot of money upfront to make sure, you know, you have, I guess the rights of reservations to these experiences, experiences to these events, you know, uh, or is the money come later?
2: So it's a little bit of a arbitrage game and some of, and some of that, and we're growing, uh, we're growing, we were growing so fast. We were going to, we were going to triple from 2019 to 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the the pandemic hit. And I always tell this story the uh, everything shut down on march on like march 12th that was the last physical events they told us to go home and you know not get on planes and and do that and do that kind of thing don't you can't have your fundraising you can't have your fundraising gala the week the before, last thing that
0: you want to hear for your company uh,
2: <laughs> the, it was and i was it, i was with chris mann who was on the the, the show earlier uh he's in my eo forum and we were down in Sarasota for our retreat. And he's like, they're going to shut this down. This is like March 5th. And I'm like, there is no way they will ever shut this down. And then we, that, that week I get home and Bo Jackson, Wes Welker, and Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s foundations call us all on the same day. And I go to my team. I'm like, we're on the mat, man. I mean, we, mm. we, have, we have arrived only to uh, the one week later, everything. Gets shut down, so we're not just in events; we're in travel. So the entire supply chain was destroyed for for us almost. So the places, so people would ask me the first week. They're like, "Oh my God, how you doing?" I'm like, "How the f you think I'm doing?" I mean, I'm like, there are no <laughs> events and nobody Could wants to be travel. Better. So, Could be yeah, better. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, but then, but then you realize like that downward spiral. After about a week, I'm like, okay, I've got a team. Mm -hmm. I've got organizations who are calling us, asking for our help. We've got donors. We need to take care of everyone. So I just flipped, you know, you flip the switch in front of people, but, you know, deep down you're you're hurting pretty, you know, pretty bad on it. So when they said, when they said don't get on those planes and don't have those fundraising events you know we stuck two middle fingers in the air we really we really did so we said what's the opposite of getting on a plane well laying on your couch but we can't make any money yeah. if you lay on your couch so you know what that'd we're be gonna nice do? unless you're netflix
0: a- yeah
2: <laughs> yeah we're gonna create experiences that are within driving distance so then we built 25 experiences in less than 30 days in and around within a five hour drive of Cincinnati. So what we did is we served up to our clients who were looking for help. We served up something in their events because they pivoted the virtual, so we pivoted with them. And I knew that we would be okay after about a after about a couple weeks because mm. people were continuing to buy travel in these virtual events. They were buying future travel. They were buying stuff that was within driving distance. So then we created our hometown experiences, um, and I probably didn't even tell you guys about about that one. So then we created uh, a sub brand called hometown experiences, and we launched it in Cincinnati, and it was. The organizations, the nonprofits, absolutely loved it. And what we did is we went to the bars, the restaurants, the travel companies, the tour operators, the hotels who were hurting, and we said, "We're going to try to send you business." And they were they were very receptive. Then, oh, wow. yeah. So then we just served up a new product to our uh, to our client base, and they they loved it. Then we built Nashville. Then we built Charlotte. Then we built Napa. So we built a hundred experiences in three months, and then wow. my team was like, "We can't take it anymore. Will you please stop?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I can't take it anymore. I want to stop too." So,
1: so did you put money up front on these? Like, I, I'm just coming from a money perspective. Sorry, or you know, how are you? I guess reserving these experiences. Um, So when
2: we built, I built hometown, we built hometown experiences for less than $10,000 and we 10 X the profit.
1: You're in in the backyard
2: of these places.
0: So it's probably, yeah, we're in the
2: backyard. We know what we're doing. We had the Mm -hmm. time. We already knew how to put stuff together. The, the vendors were very interested in what we were doing. We got the, you know, we got the press, you know, we got the press behind it. They, they loved it too. Uh, The donors loved it saying, Hey, I can drive down the Red River Gorge or I can do this stuff that is, that is that is close by. So then from March 2020 to March 2021, we have a 50 50 split in events between experiences that involved flying somewhere. And it didn't mean that we necessarily included airfare, but a donor had to fly to get there. And then we uh, had a 50% uh, split on drivable destinations. That was March 2020 to March 2021. And we pay attention to all this. So then what happens in the second quarter of this year, April, May, June, 72% air travel, 28% driving distance. So what did that tell us? That told us that people are so sick of doing things around them for the last for the last 18 months. Now they're ready to go further and further away. So then we took the brand that we built, Hometown Experiences, and we merged it back into Giveback.
0: So what does this mean now, moving forward into 2022, where we're not out of this yet? So what do you think are the future experience trends? Because you also see other countries shutting down yet again. What does that mean for you?
2: So you know, it's interesting here because I don't know that a lot of that is going to, you know, is going to yeah. happen. I'll tell you a, a contrarian. It's not really, actually, it's actually not a contrarian view because mm-hmm. I'm watching it happen. What happens now is when we have a spike, an uptick in a variant, mm-hmm. the number of donors that buy to physical events increases at the really? same mm-hmm. way. Yes, it's it's wild. So when they talk about lockdowns, people buy Derby, they buy Augusta, they buy, you know, they buy it because I think that people know that it is, we, we've gone through the, the hardest part of it. And I mean, I'm currently, our office is in Cincinnati. I'm in Nashville right now. Uh, Nashville is one of the last cities to remove the masks. And I mean, with Broadway, it was destructive. Uh, it was sad. And you drive down there and just you know, if it's 10 a.m. on a Thursday morning, I mean, the place is juiced, right? And uh, there was nobody there, but now it's full force back and all the restaurants, all the bars. Like, I just, I I don't know how they would ever, I I don't think they can shut it down. I think the people will say no, you know, no way. And how do you, and you know, so what happened is when you have the, the Delta variant uptick in, in like August or whatever that was, yeah. Mm-hmm. We lost a hundred events because mm. the boards were concerned about getting people in a room. So they're talking their they're talking their organizations out of having a physical event. So now these organizations, some of these organizations went two years without having a physical event. But there's a hundred thousand people at the football games, but not mm-hmm. four hundred people in a room. So
0: you are impacted by so many different, beyond mm. the, like mm. variants, you know, COVID included, but because you're dealing not only with these experiences of whether it's the you know some sort of a music festival, but also with the nonprofit themselves.
2: Yeah, it totally. I mean, it was it was it was exhausting, right? It, it was like, yeah. is Derby going to happen? Okay. Are they going to have hundred percent fans? Are they going to have 50% fans Are they going to have 25% fans? Should we even sell it? What happens if we sell it? Are we causing ourselves more problems by selling it? Um, So it was a, the, the mental part of it was, was rough. It was nothing but a pinball machine. Every single day we canceled, you know, for trips for 1500 people. We lost hundreds of fundraising events. And 2021, we had our best year ever, and we'll double next year, regardless. So,
1: so I kind of want to go back to the money question, uh, business side of things. Can you explain to Ali and myself and our audience how are you making money off of this? Are you getting it from the donations, or are you know people coming to you, picking from this menu and then paying just like at cost, essentially? or just a little bit above cost? and Yeah, so you take something, plan. and
2: it's about securing stuff. So we have our own ticket company, so we have a spread mm-hmm. between the retail rate and the wholesale rate. We work deals with the tour operators and the travel companies and the – you know the bourbon tours and the wine tours like we work out deals with mm. with them and then we bundle it bundle it all together and then we'll put a markup on it and then the organization sells it so you take something like the you know the golf one that I was talking about mm-hmm. i mean we made like $500 they made you know, they made 6,000 times three, they made $18,000. So we made like 1500. And then so they should always make, you know, make more than than we do. You know, we just tend to do a lot of trips and volume and, and and things like that. And then we bought a cabin in Red River Gorge through our hometown experiences, we'd sold so many, then, you know, that was a destination that we wouldn't have had or wouldn't have known about until we started, looking for stuff that was local. So we buy that and we, you know, we own that, uh, you know, just, just work in deals. And mm-hmm. then we put our markup in it and then they make a hundred percent over the cost. So we don't take any of that. So when an organization has, it's a $2,500 trip and they sell it for 5,000, you know, they keep that 2,500 and then they send us the, you know, the, our portion, but most of that is just, you know, Going to the hotels, going to the tickets, going to the going tours. Into the
0: experience. Yeah,
2: it's going into the experience. It's not like it's, you know, everybody's giving us anything for free because they're mm-hmm. they're not. And that's really where we we're a supplement to mm-hmm. to to what you have in your event. But the cool stuff that we have, you ain't getting for free.
1: What do you have to say to you know, I guess people some people in the nonprofit world, I used to be on some nonprofit boards. That say, oh, you're just taking advantage of these nonprofits. What are I guess what are your thoughts on all that whole situation?
2: We're we're not at all. There's no. They make more money than we so do on the experiences. Yeah, I mean we we like, gosh, I mean we the amount we we solve a huge problem, mm-hmm. and the problem is is that you have to have interesting things in your gala for people to to bid on so the non the non is getting the ability to make thousands of dollars on things that they wouldn't even have and then they're not equipped to execute travel for their for their donors and then i mean this is this is a four win scenario i've mm-hmm. never i've not seen things where the organization wins the donor wins my company wins and we have a profit plus purpose model where we dedicate a portion of our profits to buying uniforms for, uh, for kids in tough areas and sending kids to, to sporting events. So we've sent a lot of, a lot of kids to sporting events across the country for the you know, up until the pandemic, like all over the, all over the country. Then one, one time when we, uh, but we bought, Baseball and softball uniforms for a high school in Florida. We had NFL player Hall of Famer Warren Sapp deliver them to the to the oh, team. Wow. So not only did they get cool stuff, awesome. so it's a it's a quadruple mm. win. These organizations win. They flat out love us. We're so much repeat business. They, you know, we help them through the you know the pandemic by giving them ideas by what we're seeing. We build all this amazing stuff. Uh, for them the donors love us because they help support that organization and they help raise thousands of dollars for that organization then we win and the kids win so it's it, it's really a rewarding business
1: I guess why the focus on nonprofits then I guess uh, versus you know hey direct to consumer or sell to a corporation and this is like an employee benefits program of some kind
2: so we do do we, we have personal and corporate, we have personal and corporate uh, clients. Oh. It's really that the, the the nonprofits are the one that need the most help. Mm. Right? Because if you're if you're a if you're working for a big company, they might even have in-house people that can book that group of 10 to the you know to the US Open or to Jackson Hole or to Napa, the the nonprofits don't have you know a lot of the capabilities to to do this stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're selling, put, put it this way, we're selling ESPYs at NFL players events. Yeah. Okay. So think about, think about that for a minute. Like the, the NFL players don't even want to mess or get tickets or do any of that. They want to give back XP to bundle it up for them. Okay. And then they'll sell it and make, I mean, we, we work with, um, um, you know, a couple NFL head coaches, uh, one of them, he took like our Derby package and sold it for twice the amount. So, oh, wow. and they don't have wow. to, they don't have to, you know, you know, do it. So, uh, we've got some amazing high profile clients and, uh, if they're using us, then the little community center should probably use us.
0: I would love to kind of keep that thought going because you've mentioned this a couple times, you know, that the the power of your network. Now, these the power of your network with these nonprofit organizations, kind of walk us through, you know, what that conversation looks like for you, how you've been able to grow your network and maybe some advice that you uh, could give to people in terms of networking to be successful.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, you got to be a little bit in our business. You got to be a name dropper. So yeah. you got to be comfortable <laughs> doing that. So we'll go. Yeah. Okay. So Chicago. Let's look at Chicago now. What have we done in the last the last four months? We get the Catholic diocese, right? Huge. Okay. Then we get the Chicago Blackhawks. Then we get Ditka. Nice. Then we get our lacquer. Right now. Now what's the frame? How do we frame Chicago? We work with this person, this person, this person, this person. So it all builds on top of each other. So we move fast. Uh, we we I mean I handle I handle the majority of the sales for our entire organization. It's it's my skill set with without a doubt is the connection part of it, and I can move pretty fast and uh, make friends really really fast. And just being in a group like entrepreneur organization to mm-hmm. you know to just to just network and you know and, and be aggressive in it not not aggressive from the standpoint of in calls or whatever but mm-hmm. be aggressive in how we get to uh, certain people and and target them i mean anybody from chicago calls me now i mentioned those four names right so who wins we win it we beat them
1: any tips on networking and building one's network
2: <sighs> um I don't know if I. That's have a loaded question. I know it's. <laughs> it's. Get in the room. It's. Yeah, you gotta just. Uh, you know, you have to be opportunistic, and I think you mm-hmm. have to. As an entrepreneur, you have to connect dots. So, those dots are connected from the mm-hmm. people. They're different. You know, when you connect those four things, they're different, but they fit into your story. So you got to be a good storyteller. Uh, you got to be able to connect the dots. You got to be able to see down, you know, down the road. I mean, the one thing that I, you know, with our team is I'm really good at A and I'm really good at D. Um, I'm good in the ideation part of it and I'm good at coming in at, at the end and putting it together, reformulating, building removing like what how does this how does this look Uh B and C eh, I'm just not I'm just not interested in it I I can do it but you know if you give me a task list and it has 10 things on it I will do two and I'm done like I'm just (laughs) not I'm not made that way
0: at least you Um, know yourself
2: yeah in it but it took me it took me so Patrick is actually uh, if you look at that question, if I look at it a little bit deeper and sort of answer it and not answer it, the one thing that I wish that I would have done, one of the things out of multiple is I I got tested. And what I mean tested is like culture index and Enneagram and things that I thought were just not a big, a big deal. Uh and I've done a lot of that work in the last in the last two to three years. So when I took the culture index, I took that about a year ago. That was I, I couldn't I, I couldn't believe it. It was a I filled it out and it was like, how do you how do you see yourself in the work environment? And then the next page was how do you think you have to act in the work environment? I'm like, okay, yeah. that's it. That's how they get you. And this guy yeah. calls me and he's like I just want to let you know that I only deal with $50 million companies and above. And I'm like, well, we're not that. So he's like, yeah. but I'm going to do this assessment for you. And he's like, you sitting down? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, thank God you have a job. You have your own company because you are unemployable. You have no skills. <laughs> no. And he just,
0: and I love it. I was like, guys, this guy's great. And do he's you know what me, you're doing, sir? Yeah. He's like,
2: skills, And he's like, and he, but he, he, and I was like, He goes, when you have a bad day, you have a really bad day. Like you will sit and stare at the wall for three hours. And I'm thinking to myself, Mm. I do sit and stare at the wall for three, you know, three hours because I'm not this task person. He goes, but then let's talk about the good. And then he told me where I would have issues with my team. And I could never understand why uh, on certain things, like maybe we couldn't connect on some things. And what he said is. He goes, you're like ten steps ahead. So you've spent the time thinking about this topic, and on you, you've played that side, and you've played the other side, and then you go and you get your team, and they're like doing other stuff, and you you say, hey, let's have a quick meeting, and you vision you vision bomb them. He's like, they've had no time to think of it. They can't keep up with your energy. You get frustrated. They get frustrated. And I'm like. Oh my God! I've been dropping vision bombs on my team for years. (laughs) They don't know what to do with it. Why? Why can't they keep up with this? It's it's like Minecraft. But it was like I was sabotaging them. I I really Mm. was, and didn't didn't realize I was doing that. So they were all tested too, and then it like allows us Mm. to work uh, work with each other. And I used to think all that stuff was just stupid. The reason why um, PNG does that. Yeah, and it Mm. it really opened it really opened my eyes. But what it did is it, it gave me even more confidence into my strengths. And I don't even, t- I try not to even pay attention to my weaknesses. Like, I'm just like, whatever. I know what they are. Like, I suck at this or I suck at that. Fine. I'm not going to fix it. So let's just go.
0: Do you think that's a valuable trait of an entrepreneur to be like, well, screw this. I'm just going to hire around my weakness rather than, you know, beating yourself up over it?
2: So it's a, it's a fine line because... I mean, ultimately, the answer to that question is yes. That's what you should do. You should do all the time. But in the beginning, when you don't have the money to hire this person or that person, you have to mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, by doing it, is also how you learn about different aspects of the business. So when I started Give Back, uh, I was still running my my uh, fly fishing company. But I base I started Give Back with just me. So. I did every component to the trip. I sold it. I, I did the account management on it. And then I booked the trip. Um, like, so I, I knew how to do it all when we, we hired people. Uh, but I would say that if, if I learned to delegate, I am getting a lot, I'm a lot better at it now because I just don't want to yeah. do a lot of things. And people <laughs> are just, they're just better at it than, you know, than I am. I mean, I just have a team that's better at certain things than, You know than I am Um, so I'm better at certain things than they are
0: when you start so when you it was just you starting give back how did you stay organized because you were doing so many different things and wearing so many different hats
2: I I had to I didn't I didn't have a I didn't have a choice so I had to stay I had to stay as focused as I could be because then I trained my brain I have a really good memory and that's because when I started my fishing travel company as well, when I did, I did it all myself, mm-hmm. my team, it was funny. We had a, a, a box. We found a box of fishing clients from 20 years ago and oh, wow. they gave me a reference number and a name and i could tell them all about the trip i'm like oh that's what? that's les buck he's from san diego he went to argentina he went for four days and it cost about this and they just couldn't believe it but i didn't think it was anything special wow. they're they're like you don't have a photographic memory it's just weird that's what they say your <laughs> memory's is a weird memory is <laughs> weird that's um, impressive. but i had to i didn't i didn't have a choice mm-hmm. like i i, I just I was, I had to remember. Also,
0: not everything was as digital back then either. So yeah, like exactly. you said, you we, we were, you, were, we're using our brains differently. And unfortunately, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you're forced to use your brain a little bit more where now everything is just stored in our phones.
2: We're so much more distracted now.
1: It's not oh, yeah. even close. It's so, so you strange. had to bring on a team, right? How did you mm. find your team members?
2: So... I was sitting there and then I was doing everything and I'm like, we're never going to grow this way and I need help. So let's try Facebook. Let me post to my (laughs) friends and tell them what we need. All of a sudden we get our first two employees from friends of friends and they're fantastic. Right. And then we're like, Hmm, let's do that again. And then Mm -hmm. my buddy's, my buddy's wife who ran like you know, multiple golf courses for Billy Casper golf was like the head of regional marketing or whatever. she's like, I want to go back to do and do a few hours of work a week. We're like, okay, perfect. We got her by posting on, (laughs) on Facebook. And then, um, and then we, uh, one of my best friends, we were booking his house in Hilton head and he's like, Hey, John's wife's thinking about going back to work. I'm like, I went to college with her. Perfect. We'll get her. So then we got, (laughs) then we got her. And then, uh, a good one uh, last week, and this is why. This is like, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to be opportunistic and you have to be able to reframe mm. stuff. Mm. And so last week, uh, we're, we're again we're being swamped on the travel side, and our travel team needs help. So I'm like, okay, let's write this thing up. And I get with Tracy and we write it up, and we're like, okay, I'm gonna post it on Facebook. And for some reason, I just didn't. Something didn't feel right. Like I would just I was waiting a couple of days, I was stalling or whatever. then I get a call and I get a call from uh, uh, a person that they, I brought them in. I'm on the the board for entrepreneur organization in Cincinnati as the strategic alliance chair. I bring them in as our first uh, strategic partner. And she calls me and she says, listen, we're shuttling operations uh, for the flights. We're just going to be a private airline company. And then she goes, and you know, I'm basically going to lose my job. And my first thought was, mm. "Oh man, I'm a, that's embarrassing. I'm going to lose that strategic alliance partner that I just brought into EO. Oh my God, she's the perfect person for the job that we were going to post. Who better than dealing with travel than somebody who worked in oh, wow. an airline and had to deal with wow. all that stuff? And boom, we hired her. And she starts tomorrow. So. Uh, oh wow. Opportunistic yeah. or Literally luck. That is... Opportunistic and just,
0: you know, you got to pay attention. Yeah. You're setting yourself up for success as well. I, I would love to kind of keep that conversation about the EO going. How has the EO impacted you and give back?
2: So that is something that I wish I would have done. That That is something that I wish I would have done in my 30s. I really needed that. I'm a, I'm a single member LLC. You know, i own 100% of my, my, my company. I don't have a board of directors. I don't have a board of advisors. So, you know, the, it, it's rough. I mean, that's, when, when you're an entrepreneur, you know, uh, that's what I don't think people realize is the up and down volatility on any day it's mm-hmm. you want it to be like just gradually go up like this but your day is like this then it goes like this i mean at least when you're building something it, <laughs> you know it it does so eo was uh, a game changer for me because more than anything it just shows you that people are in the game with you that they have the same issues and Uh, before I was a strategic alliance chair, I was the membership chair and I recruited a lot of people into EO and Cincinnati. And it was, it, it was really simple. It was, do you, do you have too much money? Not enough money, too many employees, not enough employees. Can you talk to your wife? Can you talk to your kids? Can you talk to your husband? Can you talk to your girlfriend? No, you can't do any of that. Okay. Sounds like you need EO. Boom. And then you go in and then you're in these forums and in, stuff. And I'm with the same uh, and Chris is in my forum that you guys had on. So sometimes you just don't even care about the answer. If you have, you just want to hear that people are in the arena. With you, and they've got. It is, it really is, and they're not trying to. You know, you're not supposed to give advice. That's the biggest thing in EO. You're supposed to experience. How do you
0: feel about that?
2: Yeah, exactly. So you got to get to these deep. What's the feelings behind this? It's like (laughs) f off. I'm pissed off. Don't right. Tell me what to do. This is the problem. Tell me how to fix it. So. I'll tell you something that I, I like. Sometimes you just want, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you just want somebody to tell you what to do, right? Yeah, because <laughs> <I mean, yeah. laughs> it doesn't it doesn't happen this much. I realized this years ago when uh, we had a fishing resort in Guatemala, and it was pretty uh, pretty uh, popular. So we would get you know hedge fund people and top CEOs, uh, Fortune five hundred companies, and uh, NFL head coaches, and kind of just had this this database to it um so patrick that's another way how you build something right you get them in on something and then you go you, you yeah. go to something else but what i realized I, there was one trip where we had four billionaires on the trip they real live forbes 400 Ooh. billionaires and they wanted a guide who was making a couple hundred dollars a day a 100 dollars a day to tell them what to do they want to be told what to do right not their whole life they don't want to like do this they they they're smart enough to recognize that the guide is way better than them it's something just tell me where to cast tell me the distance right and i'm gonna and i'm gonna do do that so it doesn't matter if it's business or whatever it is when somebody's can be a little bit better at something than you are you know if you're smart you just listen to what they have to say to learn that skill or that craft or whatever it is.
0: Some great fishing metaphors S- right there.
1: Speaking <laughs> of learning.
0: <laughs>
1: oh my. Damn it, Ali. Um, <laughs> speaking of learning, Scott, what have you learned since, you know, starting this business?
2: Probably target market. Target market is, is something that I'm not sure I understood until give back pivoted to, um, Experiences, and what I mean by that is, you would think that somebody who starts a fly fishing travel company would understand target market, or somebody who, Mm -hmm. who, when we built a fishing resort in Guatemala, that seems pretty okay, like, but it's not about that. It's about how do you get to those people? Who, mm-hmm. who are those people? So is the fly? Okay. So the fly fishing person, they have to, you know, they have to be able to afford a $5,000 trip. Are they sitting next to me at the bar at Crowley's or are they at the trade shows or are they reading the magazine or, and I remember a lot of this stuff was before, uh, you know, was before social media. It's like, how do you, how do you get to them? And even the same thing, and I still didn't learn my lesson when I started give back sports in the the beginning, because now we're a ticket company. Now, who is it? Is it anybody who can fog a mirror and pay a hundred bucks? Like who, who is, (laughs) who is our, who is our, our person? Are they out at the restaurant next to me? Like, how do you get to them? Uh, But then when we got into fundraising events, it was like, okay, we can maneuver in this it's in our wheelhouse. We know a lot of people. And if they have a gala, you know, we can, we, we, we can do something with you know with them but even then it's still hard to penetrate but we just felt like we took the target market and narrowed and narrowed our focus that's probably the biggest lesson and it only took me 20 years to learn how to how to do it
0: (laughs) great good if you're an entrepreneur out there listening good luck (laughs) so i guess what advice then could you give in you know 2021 moving into 2022 for young entrepreneurs who might not know who their target market is
2: Stay with your job and don't start anything. (laughs) I mean, don't be an entrepreneur. That 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 actually needs to be a consideration. So Hmm. uh, I joke about it, but you really need to sit there and because it's going to be a lot harder than you think it's going to be, and you're going to get pummeled unless you're lucky, uh, and you got to be able to you got to be able to put up with it. And um, it's the the volatile ups and downs is the is the part of it. So let's say that you want to do it after, you know, you want to conquer the world, and you got this problem, and you can fix it, and you can execute, and it's a good idea, and you think there's a, a people will buy it at a at a fair price. So once you go through all those things, don't ever make your passion your business. Okay, Ooh. it is the worst advice.
0: Do you like fishing I, now?
2: I hate it. Right. Um, Oh, uh, I don't I shouldn't say hate it. I, that's such a that's such a strong word. So I used to gain to get the satisfaction from going to a farm pond in Indiana and fly fishing five hours would feel like five minutes. I got lost in it. I loved it. Then I made it my business and I lost it. And now oh. I probably do it do it once a year. So I think that people when an entrepreneur gives advice to a young entrepreneur, they really need to clarify what they're saying. And they, they really need to say, find, find something you're passionate about is not the same thing as make your hobby, your business. And I think a lot of people make their hobby, mm. their business. Mm. And it is a, it is screws. It screws you up because I've never found anything since then that gave me the release of, of that. And, um,
0: so then how I, do you I knew, differentiate I, the two?
2: So it's easy. So if you like to make pizza and your favorite thing in the world is pizza, don't start a pizza place, right? Because you could derive, yeah, you could derive plenty of benefit from a cheese pizza. But when you're six months in, you have to put pepperoni on it, sausage on it, onions on it, green peppers on it, hot sauce on it. It just the taste of it is gonna is, is gonna change to you. So if you, I think you can get passionate if you're just passionate about delivering a product from your mm-hmm. own brain that you created, or let's say it's a franchise and you think you can deliver value, you can be pretty passionate about about that. So I don't think people need to box themselves box mm-hmm. themselves in. But when I think yeah. that somebody says do something you're passionate about, they screw up and they make their hobby their business. And that's that's the that's the rub. That's the air.
0: And I imagine that happens more times than not because i mean Mm -hmm. we are familiar with what we're passionate about we know what we like so we tend to know the ins and outs of whatever business or product it might be but then next thing you know like again so how do you separate yourself from that i think is is tough it's easier said than done
2: and i think it's the the scale of it too right if you're just thinking about a little side hustle or something on the side then maybe you won't maybe you won't maybe you won't hurt it like like i did but i was actually trying to do well at it to grow it. Cause then all of a sudden I'm in a, you know, I'm in Iceland or whatever, because those are the places that we did and I'm fly fishing and I'm thinking about how much money's in the account or how I need to get back to this person or we need to get this proposal. So the whole Zen aspect of it, the whole detachment of it, Mm. the whole, I lost, that's what I lost.
0: So don't so, create a peanut butter business, is
1: what
2: you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, for you don't. For you, don't do that.
1: Do you Got regret that. being an entrepreneur then?
2: No. no. I'm made. I'm 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 made for it, and I've trained myself for it. The other thing is, I knew I went to go work for a big. It was big six accounting at the time, and I went to uh, right when I graduated. UD you know i went to go work for for that kind of company and i immediately knew i was like there is no way i'm rising to the top with all these talented people and i don't want to play the politics and stuff like that then i got fired with like 18 other people in like a well let go and like a staff reduction and i'm like never again right and i can't the only way i'm going to be president is if i start my own thing and put myself up at the up at the top, but I'm going to work really, really, really hard. And, uh, that's what I'm going to do, but that's how I can be at that level. But competing against the uh, bunch of other people that way was just not something that I wanted to do or felt I would be, I would be good at. Plus they basically told me I was a shitty accountant. So I'm like, Oh God. So, <laughs> <they're> it, honest. <laughs> right. so.
0: how much overlap is there between your sp- between sports and entrepreneurship because you're very passionate about sports and athletics
2: i am it because i think it was the the real battleground for i mean i think you know i think business is like the ultimate sport. Like Mark Cuban from the, from the Mavericks says, I mean, I really think it is. And I was so into sports when I was growing up playing, you know, playing on sports in high school, played tennis and and baseball, because what do you learn to do in sports? You learn how to win, you know, you learn how to deal with streaks, losing, you know, being a good teammate, communicating, uh, you know, adversity, winning, Like drive, ambition, getting better. Like sports is just where, where I developed. And most of my, uh, a lot of my best friends today, I played, I played sports with them. So you have that with them. You were in, Mm -hmm. you were in it with them. So uh, that's really where my passion kind of started. I just was a huge sports fan. And, um, but, you know, that. if we just, if we just sat yeah. there and just
1: did nothing but Bengals games, I'd probably burn out on, you know, burn out <laughs> well, on that. But...
0: All right, you're speaking to every Bengals fan
1: right now. <laughs> <laughs> Last couple questions from me. Um, first one being, what do you think needs to change in the nonprofit world? You work with a lot of nonprofits, so clearly you see um, a lot.
2: I think that they, that they just need to uh, not get in their own way on a lot of things. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not don't you don't need to overthink something like a like a gala. Right. You cannot get this experience, but you can make experience like you can make money on on this stuff. Um, the other thing is, I, th- I think that when you have boards and you have committees and then you have the people running the organization that they have heavy influence good and bad in how things are done but remember like if it's a committee or it's a board and, and we deal with a lot of them they're doing it on the side to help and you have a, a you know a lot of cooks in the kitchen so it can be it can be really really confusing so i would just say you know trust you know trust your your process the way you're going be opportunistic in in that world, and you know, run a lot of it like you know, like a like a like a like a business, and um, listen to what other people have to say, and then take that data, and then make make your own make your own just make your own decisions.
1: Last question from me: uh, What can Cincinnati be doing better to support businesses like yours? I
2: don't know if I have an answer to that. Uh, to that question and the reason the reason that i don't is because i'm not tied to cincinnati mm-hmm. right we have clients in cincinnati california nashville texas all over the country and because our experiences are all over the the world in the u.s and stuff like and stuff like that like we're not tied down to mm-hmm. uh, to one location but i think as a you know, as a whole, that Cincinnati's doing a little bit better. It's all about bringing the new people in. You know, you got it. You got to get the young people. You know, the young people are moving to. You know, they're moving to Nashville and these hot cities and and yeah. things like that. So how do you? And I think that they've done a you know a good job with, you know OTR and the banks, and we've got three professional sports teams now. Like I think Cincinnati has its attractions and certainly when you get older it is such a wonderful place to um you know to live and have a family um
0: yeah i guess like i would like to kind of spin off that what what do you hope then what do you hope cincinnati looks like you know five ten years from now what could we be doing better as a city not necessarily specifically focused back into your business
2: I think they're on the I mean I think they're on the right track for a lot of this cuz look at where we've come in the last 15 years. 15 years ago we had no good restaurants. You know, I mean we just didn't we just didn't have them 15 to 20 years ago and and look at it and really support the the, the entrepreneurs that not only have the, you know, cuz the, the the restaurants and the bars are the, the 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 facade the the first thing you see when you pull into a Community, right? You see the retail establishments, so you got to support them and get the city's got to get the the people maybe out of the suburbs into those areas if it's vibrant and in downtown. Like you know, I mean, I'll tell you one one place that needs help and I don't know what to do, and it's I love it more than any place in the world is Mount Adams. So I saw uh, Mount Adams. Uh. Here, here's here, here's what I would do, and I can't help but think that this uh, has been talked about or would be mm. done. But you want to change mount adams take town properties office building turn it into the killer boutique hotel that it should be the best hotel overlooking the city drive Mm -hmm. the people up to mount adams and i say this because and i shouldn't like say this but town take your offices and put them down into the building that you own right across from udf go down there right Mm -hmm. and let's have that you already have all the parking up there build it up there and let's watch Mount Adams flourish. I moved up to Mount Adams when I was, uh, when I was 20, 24 or 25 years old. My office is right across from Crowley's. We've been a staple up there. We love it. I've lived up there. Um, let's let's get Mount Adams back. Because yeah. that place was just so much fun, and uh, we need the good restaurants back, and they're starting to do some things up there. But they need support, and they need people to go to go and up there. It needs to be
0: sustainable. It hasn't been sustainable. That's been the problem.
2: I know it hasn't been sustainable. So get the okay. Uh, now I'm not going to say that because I don't know anything about that, but get a couple of the good restaurant tours up there and give them a deal and drive some people up there, build that hotel up there. Then let's get, let's get, let's get Mount Adams hey, back. Scott, and, you know,
1: you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of restaurant tours <laughs> probably do you want to get anybody from out? Of, yeah. want to get anyone from outside of the city to make an investment in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know,
2: I, I know how to like send you to the, uh, you know, to Jackson hole and fly fishing and, a safari <laughs> tour. I don't know how to to look at a property and build something and go go all out. You just gotta be the connector. It starts with an
0: idea, though. <laughs> now we just gotta find the right people to fill in the holes. Well, with that, uh, Scott, this has been such a great conversation. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. But to close out, can you tell people where they can go to learn more about GiveBack XP?
2: yeah so you can just go to givebackxp.com I mean most of the people who come to us come through our website we have some kind of you know outbound marketing or google adwords or seo or email blast so then they find us but really everything is you know is there and inquire and if we if we can help you I'll tell you that if we can help you I also tell you that too because we want to minimize our time on on something but if you're a if you're a good organization and you want to talk about all the organizations we work with in Cincinnati by phone, I'll be happy to do that with you to see if it's if it's right for you or somebody from my team. But GiveBackXP.com that's where you that's where you need to go.
0: Awesome, well Scott, thank you so much again. This this was a lot of fun.
2: Thank you, thank you guys for having me. So I really appreciate it.
0: This was great. Here's another um, podcast episode where I have so many different notes, pages of notes, and I don't know which final thoughts that I want to bring to the table first. But the the number one thing that stands out to me is not to create a peanut butter business. My goodness. But what I love about that is I think that's such a hard, real truth that we have Mm -hmm. not heard from anyone else on this podcast is don't necessarily make your passion of business but we hear from everyone you got to be passionate about what you're doing mm-hmm. you have to be passionate about your what you're doing and i think that is valid right but the actual executional aspects of it and if it is something that is near and dear to your heart and it is something more importantly that is an escape for you
1: mm-hmm. that
0: can easily kill your love and passion for it and i think that's a hard truth that we haven't really heard yet so far
1: yeah so really I, I liked that point as well i think i kind of took it a little bit different in the sense that You know, hey, it might not be exactly like your hobby or, you know, the thing that you could do on the Mm -hmm. side. Uh, But, you know, it's your business still has to be something that you are passionate about, quote unquote. I'm doing air quotes because our audience will be able to see, Uh, you know passionate about like solving the problem or the idea itself it might not be your passion but you're passionate about the idea so kind of yeah. like take a broader look at it do you want to work in this industry do you want to work on your on your own do you want to be the yeah. person doing everything I mean Scott was the end-all be-all for quite some time until he was able to bring on a team
0: yeah yeah and and another interesting Um, factor that I took away was that Enneagram Mm. factoid where he was like I am just happy that I discovered this Enneagram and that now I'm learning more about myself and I think it's really nice that he was like you know what the Enneagram is cool And it actually allowed me to put a pen to paper explanation as to where my strengths and my weaknesses are. And I think that's really valuable for anyone who is looking to move into that space of entrepreneurship or build something of their own, because you're not, we're not perfect and we're not going to be able to be perfect in everything. So when we start, we're going to have to take a lot of that heavy load. So then how can we make sure that we put ourselves in the best situation and foundation for success?
1: I really liked that point as well. I think it can't be, you know, stated enough that you got to be self-aware. I actually just had to take one for work. And the nice thing was I could see, again, my strengths, my weaknesses, uh, and – you know, lean in on my strengths, but also just be cognizant of my weaknesses. Um, I don't think I would go as far as Scott would be like totally forget about my weaknesses, but uh, Mm -hmm. just be aware, you know, hey, these are my blind spots. So how can I, you know, fill that gap? Maybe it's with my team member. And Mm -hmm. so I love the fact that Scott, you know, hired for those gaps and also, you know, brought his team in to do those personality, you know, self-awareness tests so that they can all work together.
0: And that opportunistic attitude—that's my mm. closing thought on it. You have you have to be positive because you have to think big. You have to dream big, because if you don't, then what are, what are your goals? What are you striving for? Why are you creating something? So that's a nice, in my mind, that's kind of like a nice closing closing thought for me.
1: And Stay my it, closing yeah. thought is. <laughs> Ali and I are going to stay opportunistic <laughs> and work towards our dream of building when Pigs Fly. So please go out to our website, whenpigsfly.fm. You can download any of our episodes. Check us out on any social media from LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, to, all I don't know. All the things. All the things. Uh, and Ali, what most important thing do they need to
0: do? Most importantly, if you like this podcast segment or all of our podcast segments please tell a friend it really helps us out tremendously tell your fly fishing friend i don't know whoever <laughs> whoever you feel inclined to to talk to today tell them about this podcast because we appreciate it
1: and on that note cheers cheers
0: and here's some necessary legal stuff Ally martin and patrick bailey developed the when pigs fly podcast in collaboration with the up company llc at the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the E.W. Scripps Company and its affiliates or Generator Management, LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also wanna give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.